This is Bumping Into Walls, a show about living with vision loss, the challenges, the successes, and the day-to-day walls we all bump into. Welcome to Bumping Into Walls. I'm Catherine McLeod. In our previous episode, entitled Bridging the Silence Part 1, we met David Merson, a man who has been living with hearing loss all of his life. And we also met Cynthia Pominville, an intervener. David told us a great deal about his life with hearing loss, and he also told us something about his recent challenges now that he has begun living with vision loss. In this episode, we're going to learn something more of his life now that he has begun living with the additional challenges of vision loss. And we're also going to have an interview with Cynthia about her profession as an intervener. So now, let us reintroduce David and Cynthia. David, welcome to Bumping Into Walls. Hi, I'm David, as you mentioned, my last name Marison, and and I'd like to introduce uh, my intervener. Her name is Cynthia Pumminville. Welcome to Bumping Into Walls, Cynthia. We're very happy to have you here. The last time we spoke, David, you were telling us about your love of sports. What can you tell us about the Calgary Stampeders? So I just want to say that I've had um, the Calgary Stampede seasonal tickets for approximately 56 years. My passion, my love, my... uh, my everything was watching the Calgary Stampedes. And so I used to go as a little boy with my dad. We'd watch football and until I was 13 years old. And then I started to get to learn more. And then I found out about the rules, the regulations. And as I was getting older, I just become more passionate about it. My father, who could fingerspell to me, would give me that information of what I was missing auditorily. So since then, I've had uh, an extreme passion for football. I, I, I did play when I was younger, but obviously not anymore. But I do love watching it. Even now, I try to get as much as information that I can, whether it be through the CCTV newspaper or friends telling me about the uh, at the games. Right. Um, okay, go ahead, Kathy. How easy is it for you to follow what is happening during a game? Really, I miss a lot of information. Uh, It is very challenging for me to watch. I can't watch on the TV because of that um, vision that is happening. I can't read the CCT, the closed captioning on it. Right. So my wife... Thank goodness. It gives me the information about what the scores are. So that's all I'm getting. I don't get the play-by-play. I don't get to see it visually. Uh, I, I get the information secondhand um, through co-worker, uh, not co-workers, but through friends and, and my wife. Now, the method that Cynthia is using to talk to you, what is that called? So Cynthia is, her her professional title is called an intervener. 
And I am, uh, because I was born deaf, my natural sign language, my natural language is American Sign Language, ASL. And so I uh, grew up using sign language, ASL. But now with the vision loss, I use what is called tactile ASL. And now I'm also learning a new language, well, not a new language, a new way of communicating, which is called two-hand manual. Two-hand manual is spelling of the words in the palm of my hand. So the 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 uh, fingers are the vowels and the combination of inside the palm, fingers, so on and so forth, are the consonants. So which spell out the words? And I'm learning that. It's slow, but I am learning it. However, yeah. my communication is through sign, ASL, and it's tactile. So my hands are over Cynthia's hands. Go ahead. Okay. I was wondering, uh, is your wife learning that as well? She's starting as well. Yeah, she's starting to learn. It is slow, but it works. Yeah. Go ahead. Because I would imagine that she also knows ASL. Oh, yes, absolutely. Go and, ahead. And that would be definitely like easy for her to do that part, but this is a whole new language. This, this uh, two-hand manual. Yes, it is tough. It is definitely <laughs> tough. As we get older, we don't learn as quickly. So um, my brain is actually slow at feeling the letters, and then I have to process that information. But I'm positive, and I keep practicing, but I'm not going to lie. It is tough. Yes, I, I believe that. I learned Braille uh, as an adult, and I do a little bit of it every day. And yes, I'm slow at it. I'm, I watch Jesse and Anthony, and they're much quicker at it than I am because they've been doing it since they were children. So it's different. And I can do it, but it is learning another language. And so good on you for doing it. And I certainly think it's wonderful, but I do understand it is tough, but it's something that you have to do if you want to keep communicating, right? Yes, 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 absolutely. Go ahead. But I just want to make sure that people do understand this is why there is the delay, is that we are having a translation taking place. Yeah, that's very true. It's almost like being at the United Nations. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you're correct. Go ahead. Now, you obviously don't have Cynthia with you all the time. It would probably be really nice to have her in your back pocket to haul out. But what yes, other... Yes, <laughs> you are right. You are absolutely correct. <laughs> when you don't have Cynthia with you to help you with communication, what else do you use to communicate with the world? Uh, 
I use email. So as I stated in the beginning, I use what is called the Zoom text and the CCTV, but the Zoom text allows me to access the world uh, via email. So I can actually email Cynthia and other people uh, some thoughts, ideas, or just to book her. I use the CCTV to read the newspaper, notes, letters, uh, because it is a program a piece of equipment that enhances the print, which allows me to uh, read a little bit. Now, we have explained on other shows what a CCTV reader is, uh, but for listeners that may not know, a CCTV is a closed-circuit TV television, and it is a computer that takes a picture, basically, of something for those of us who can't read it and we can adjust the size. Yes, you're absolutely correct. That's exactly what it is. And so that is something that you can definitely do at home. So, sorry, just a minute, Kathy. Can, when I can't read with the email, as for example, an attachment... What I do is I ask my wife to print that attachment and then I put it under the CCTV. So I still remain independent. However, um, I guess a, a little bit of support, but I still remain independent in reading my own material. So that is helpful to me. That's very clever. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Go ahead. I do think uh, someone told me once that those of us with disabilities are always being very creative in trying to adjust to the world. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, uh, we do manage. Now, you also worked... Yes, I did. I was employed, gainfully employed as an accountant. That amazes me alone because if you put a dollar sign in front of numbers, they confuse me immediately. <laughs> David's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> so I worked, I was gainfully employed um, for for my father and for another company for 42 years. So I, I was an accountant for 42 years. Um, so yeah, so I managed money way back when, when this computer was not there to do it. We had to do it all manually. Yes, I remember those days. I even went to school when we weren't allowed to use calculators. We had to learn how to do it with pencil and paper. Yes, you're absolutely right. I had to use my mind. <laughs> and I was also an income tax expert for people as well. So I did that. So that was that was my profession. Good. And so how did you communicate with people in those days? Paper and pen, the old fashioned way, paper and pen back and forth. So four years ago, when I suddenly had that drastic vision loss, 
I actually stopped doing income tax. I stopped doing a lot of things because of that. So yeah, four years ago, life has changed drastically. So you've really had to learn to start living life a little bit differently. Yes, you're absolutely correct, Kathy. Yeah. But life does go on. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the messages that we like to to definitely make sure that people understand. Now, when you were were able to write out messages to people rather than talk to them, did you find that most people absolutely understood that and just carried on and didn't really worry about it too much? I tried to make things easy for people. So I would write it and it, it was clear information and they had no problems writing back. We kept everything simple. There was a few times uh, there's a few times that people actually wanted to learn, so I would teach them the alphabet so they could fingerspell to me well, but in nice. my workplace. So yeah, so there was always a few people that were very interested about uh, learning signs. So that helped out a, a bit as well. Everybody's different. There is such an individuality out there, and it depends on people's, um, I guess, uh, on their, their, their capability of learning sign or their desire to want to just write to another person wanting to help out that way keeping the clear communication everybody's an individual out there right mm -hmm. well thank you for this david it's been fascinating hearing about your life and how you work with an intervener and for anyone who missed part one of bridging the silence it is available on our soundcloud page as well as in itunes under cjsw and stay tuned for some information from Cynthia about her life and work as an intervener. Now that we've finished speaking to our guest, David, Kathy, Anthony, and I have come together to talk about what we took away from our interview and the great things that David spoke to us about. Uh, hello, guys. Hey. Hi. So uh, we'll start with you, Kathy. What did you take away with your experience working with David? I think what impressed me the most listening to David was the absolute confidence that he lived in the world with that um, the gift his parents gave to him by sending him to a school where he learned to sign that they recognized that the oral school was just not working for him and the joy that he felt when he learned how to sign and that once he started going through vision loss that the next step of learning the two-handed sign language then became just one more step for him. I, I just think that it was interesting that it was a, a world of choices for him. And uh, also the whole family dynamic of his family learning sign language as well. It, it just was fascinating for me. 
I am inclined to agree with that as well. Uh, I just thought that it was great that it seemed like it brought his family closer together. Like the fact that they could come together and learn sign language and learn a different way to communicate and and work together. Uh, and I also thought it was really cool to hear David talk about, uh, you know, being an avid Stampeders fan. You know, it just kind of reminds us that we can all have our own passions and, you know, we can enjoy those. I know. I mean, I listened to the games and I guess David followed them on his computer like read about them and and he watched them on television when he was able to visually watch the plays or I guess I understand he went to the games and would watch them as well yeah apparently held season tickets for 52 years uh to go and watch the games at McMahon Stadium so you know I just think that that's that that's cool and kind of a reminder that, you know, no matter how different you are, you can, you know, you can still do what you want to do. I just watched how David interacted and how even though he couldn't hear, he was able to communicate and that him and Cynthia had quite an understanding of how each other worked and that how well he worked within the hearing world. Whereas I don't know if I could have done that, but it just all takes experience, right? And I think you probably could. You also uh, know David outside of the studio. You talk to him at Lions. Yeah. Yeah, I do. And how does that work out? Actually, it works out really well. Everyone, you know, he knows everyone. He always comes over to me. We have a secret handshake, and it's it's really kind of cool. You know? <laughs> he says hi to me. That's our secret handshake. We have, I say hi in sign language. He'll just grab my hand and say hi in sign language, and I say it back. Oh, so that's kind of neat. Yeah, so you've learned a little me, bit of sign he, language. Yeah, he taught me how to do a little bit of manual sign language. That's cool. And, I, and again, it really just speaks to how he's just getting involved in normal everyday things. He's just, he's going out there. He's saying, you know, this is who I am. This is how I do things. Yeah. Are I you mean, sure he hasn't taught you how to say something dirty? No. <laughs> I, I, asked, I asked later and double checked because I had a weird <laughs> feeling he might be trying to pull one over on me because he's a jokester. <laughs> That's funny. And I, you know, I've seen him get out and, and bowl and he bowls up there with the best of us. Certainly, oh, yeah. certainly better than me. Yeah, so than he me. wasn't quite accurate when he was complaining about missing all of the pins? No, because I do. No, I think he does all right. I've, I think I've heard a couple of strikes where I've been bowling for three years and I've only ever had one strike, so I definitely think he's doing all right. Yeah. Okay, so he's he's definitely pretty successful. He just wants more strikes, which we mm-hmm. all do. Which yeah. we all do. He's very competitive, I think. Yes, he is. Yeah. We actually have an interview with Cynthia coming up where she's going to tell us how she became an intervener and her career. Yes, that's correct, Kathy. So we're going to say goodbye and move on to the interview where we hear about what it's like for Cynthia to be an intervener after our station break. This is Bumping Into Walls on CJSW 90.9 FM. Okay, and Cynthia, we would really love some information about your work as an intervener. First of all, how did you even get interested in working as an intervener? 
probably the most amazing story uh, I love telling people. I started working as a developmental service worker, and I met a deafblind lady who was deafblind from rubella syndrome. So in other words, this was happening in northern Ontario, a place that you can only get by train and by plane. It's called Moosini. So I met this woman, and she has since passed away. Her name is Daisy, and uh, she was born in an Aboriginal community where at that time any person born with a disability was brought to a group home or an institution. And at one point in time, everything closed off and group homes and more smaller space closer to their homes. Um, so that's how I met Daisy. And so I met this woman who was deafblind and like, wow, how are we going to communicate with her? So I started learning um, about tactile object cues type of communication. And then I met a deaf woman who uh, was initiated by the Lions Club that we could all learn sign language. Oh, my God, I fell in love with sign language. I thought it was the most amazing language out there. So with that being said, after working 10 years in this uh, specific group home, I decided to go back to school and become an interpreter for uh, the deaf because sign language has just opened up so many passions of mine. Um, I went to a school, and uh, so I started learning to become an interpreter. And then from that perspective, I met uh, somebody in the deafblind program. And I'm like, oh, well, I worked with a lady for 10 years in deafblindness, and I absolutely loved it. Let me find out if I can find out more. I became, I graduated as an in intervener, which I work with people who are deafblind, and we only work one-on-one. -on -one, so that's why it's the term intervener. Right. Well, yeah. you, you really would only be able to work one-on-one. -on -one. Yes, yes. Because as you see with the David, it's tactile sign language. Could you imagine working with uh, various people in... In, uh, in a room. It, yeah. It would be crazy. It would not... It just physically would not even make any sense. So, yeah. So, I've actually been working in the field though for over 30 years with deafblind individuals, whether congenitally deafblind or acquired deafblindness. And I use all methods of communication. So, we use two-hand manual, braille, object cues, environmental cues, um, technology, everything under the sun in order to access communication. Okay. Um, now, I think that uh, when we look at, for instance, Anne Sullivan and Helen Keller, would that relationship be considered kind of an intervener? Absolutely. Um, Annie Sullivan was called the miracle worker. And because she worked with a, um, a deafblind child who was Helen Keller and very patiently um, struggled every day to teach her concepts because as a child who cannot see, who cannot hear, how are they going to develop concepts and understanding of the world if not presented to them by an individual such as Annie Sullivan? Or myself, which I'm doing also. I work with children who are deafblind here in Calgary. So... We bring that world to the individual who's deafblind, such as David. He's missing a lot of information because he cannot see or hear it. So my job, my passion is to bring that information to him in his way of, of receiving that information, which through him is tactile uh, sign language. So that's what we do. Well, that was one of the things when I was reading about Anne Sullivan and Helen Keller, for instance, because Helen Keller was a very brilliant individual. Absolutely. And she graduated um, 
magna cum laude, I believe, mm-hmm. and was the first deaf-blind woman to graduate uh, magna cum laude from a American university. And I had never thought about how she did it. And the fact was, of course, books were not printed in Braille. No, you're absolutely and, right. And she had no way of recording anything. She couldn't hear the lecturer. And I, I never gave much thought to how she did it. And the way she did it was she sat in the lecture hall and Ann Sullivan sat beside her and signed, yeah. signed every word into her hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it's incredible when you think about it that on the part of both women. Yeah. We actually have an amazing Canadian woman who did this with Mae Brown. Mae Brown is actually a very well-known Canadian who is deafblind from Thunder Bay. She went to the University of Toronto, and um, she had... um, Oh, my goodness, now her name escapes me. (laughs) But uh, she had her own personal intervener who is still alive today. Oh, Joan McTavish. There we go. So Joan McTavish is still alive today, has written a book about Mae Brown and her experiences of working with her in the university. So Mae um, was lucky enough to have Joan, who, who read everything, wrote everything in Braille, uh, provided information, sat in class with her. But I, I just wanted to say Laura Brigman, another Canadian who graduated university. So we hear a lot about Helen Keller, but we have an amazing, uh, quite amazing uh, deafline women here in Canada that have graduated universities. Mae Brown had developed um, a highway, hand-to-highway at CNIB to connect the deafblind community across Canada. Mm-hmm. So she had a lot of history here in Canada with CNIB. So um, we hear a lot about, like I said, Helen Keller and Annie Sullivan, which is wonderful, but let's not forget our Canadian um, famous people out there as well. Well, I, I think the reason we hear about Helen Keller so much is because she did do a lot of speaking uh, in the early days when it was just unusual for a woman to do it, and also because they made that famous movie. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and and <laughs> makes a difference. You know, it it, it is incredible. But uh, you know, so it, you pull it out, and it's it's quite wonderful. But uh, there are other people who did it, and and I mean, I've met some pretty incredible people along the way that I always hold up as heroes of my own. So. Yeah, yeah, I, I think we all find our our people that we can look up to and... Um, mm-hmm. Everyday and, heroes. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. For me, it was my brother. <laughs> well, there you go. But uh, so, you know, I, I mean, I watch you work, work with David and it's it's wonderful and it's it becomes an everyday thing as well, which is good because it should. It's and, very much of a passion of mine. It's not... It's not a job, and I I will wake up in the middle of the night and think about ways of how to teach somebody to access the world, um, especially if they're congenitally deafblind, what's the best way to introduce certain things to them. So, for example, um, 
what, what about going to the grocery store? F- food don't just doesn't appear on the table. So I've started taking this little boy who is deafblind to the grocery store to experience fruits and vegetables. What is not more appealing than food, right? <laughs> it's yeah. a good place to start. Yes. So I always find a way to connect with the person that I'm working with. And I'm so, and I have to say, this is an honor for me to do the type of work that I do because I'm in privy to people's lives, to their joys, their sorrows, uh, excitement, and new learning. And oh my goodness, suddenly the world opens up to them. Um, I get excited every day that I wake up. I get excited to go work because I have these opportunities to be joyful and bring the world to to individuals who cannot see and cannot hear. Wait, as an intervener, you have a very special position because you are not a piece of computer equipment. You are absolutely, we are human. I I will cry at weddings. I will cry funerals. <laughs> so uh, I do. Yes, I'm a person, and but I also share my own personal life experiences um, with the people that I support. So they know that I am compassionate. I'm empathetic. I, I I have the knowledge. I have the background. I've experienced so many various things through other people's lives. Birth, uh, death, um, sickness, um, graduations. Um, just so many, so many things travel. Oh my goodness, I even had an opportunity to, you know, people would hire me to go to Mexico. It's, yeah. <laughs> and, well, that, well, gee, you live a rough life. <laughs> but uh, no, it, it would be impossible not to become intertwined with someone's life. Yes. Yeah. So, so intervener, I, I mean, I just thought it was fascinating, just even the title. Yeah, it's it's actually here in Alberta, we, they're called SSP, Support Service Provider. In Ontario, they're called interveners. Across Canada, they're called interveners. But in Alberta, they have chosen the terminology Support Service Provider, which I have the utmost respect. It is a deafblind community. They decide um, what their terminology is for us. It's, uh, it's, it's about respecting each other in this profession. Um, it is still a job that I do. I mm-hmm. still get paid to do it. So there is a professional line. Yes, we do have an intertwined life. However, I go home and I forget because ultimately, you know, that was their life, their experience. I always have a philosophy of when I'm providing a support and a service, it is about them, not about me. Yes. I am here. I'm providing a service for them to access the world at a, to the best of my abilities. And um, also the the intervener um Mantra is do with, not for. Now, without respect, I do with David. I don't do for David. So when we walk, when we go shopping, when we do activities, it's his activity. It's his part of his life. It's not me experiencing that. I experience it secondhand. But ultimately, my goal is to provide him with the 100% true, authentic intervener services. Well, I think anyone listening to David's interview understands that David is very much about independence and very much about living his own life. That is correct, yes. So even though uh, you were providing the actual vocalization for David, it was David's words. Correct. You're absolutely correct. Yep. And that that was an, an interesting thing, is that it's not the first time that 
people have heard an intervener speaking for a person through the media, but, you know, I mean, it's the same thing as when you're listening to a United Nations speech, you can hear someone speaking English for someone who is speaking Russian, but yeah. that doesn't mean you're not hearing someone else's words. Exactly, exactly. It doesn't matter which voice it comes out of it. It really is uh, the message behind that, right? Exactly. Yeah. So Very good. And we all have to get used to that in the modern world. <laughs> yes. And I think there's also that lag time that uh, people are uncomfortable with silence. Anytime I enter a room and I have to provide um, interpreting services uh, via tactile sign language, so, so there is that lag time. And people feel uncomfortable because we are living in a here and now kind of world where everything has to happen so quickly. So when I just have to ask them to be patient, I need to interpret, and then I interpret, and then the person can speak for themselves. Or else, what would be the purpose, right? Because I could just speak for the person that I am with, but that's not, that's not my professional role. No. Yeah. No. And and for for us of course it's it's a little bit difficult um because we of course can't see what's going on so we have to wait to figure it out too. <laughs> yes, that's very true. <laughs> it, 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 but but we managed. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much. This was a real delight and uh it was just amazing to be able to talk to David and to know what David is all about. You are so welcome from both of us. Tune in next time to see what people, places, or things we've been bumping into. To contact Bumping Into Walls, find us on Twitter at into underscore walls. Or send us an email at bumpingintowalls at gmail.com. You can also check out our website, bumpingintowalls.wordpress.com. Bumping Into Walls is produced, edited, and hosted by Jesse Tregarthen. Anthony Hodges and Catherine McLeod. Hello, I'm Jesse Tregarthen, and I wanted to take a minute to talk about some of the technical decisions that were made behind the two-part episode that was bridging the silence. A lot of planning went into how to incorporate this episode and help the listeners to understand what it was like for David and Cynthia to communicate. As part of this, I put a lot of thought into how to capture some of that communication. I ultimately decided to leave the mics in the studio open in hopes to pick up the sound of the sign language communication that was happening. There are some cases during the pauses between speech where you can actually hear the two-hand manual sign communication through the microphones. We also had to shorten many of the silences, because in a lot of cases it actually takes a lot longer than in our recording to communicate certain things, especially long sentences. While we shorten some of them for radio, it can be 
a very lengthy process. Thank you for listening.